0: Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to this week's episode of 15 Minute Film Fanatics, a podcast where two friends watch movies independently and then sit down and have a conversation about them for the first time. Today, we're going to be talking about a film that we've each seen a billion times, and we're sure if you're listening to a movie podcast, you have too. It's 1974's The Godfather Part 2. So we'll start with our big takeaways from viewing it again. Mike, go.
1: I shared this movie recently with somebody who had never seen The Godfather or The Godfather Part 2 who told me after I think that this is my favorite film of all time mm-hmm. and I, I can't disagree. I think that there's a wonderful unity to the Godfather part one that of course is, is literally broken apart in terms of timeline uh, in the Godfather part two. And what we discussed in our podcast at the end of Godfather part one is that Michael seems to have violated some internal rules that he, he didn't even know existed. And we get to watch the implications of that role. Yes. You know, we talked about the definition of family We talked about it as an organization versus a group of people to whom you're to whom you're actually related. And we know which Michael chooses. And I think that the film does a spectacular job all the way down to its last and final shot of exploring the implications of that.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I was uh, you once made a joke about His Girl Friday that I'm about to repeat here about Godfather two, which is they should have just stopped making movies after this. Right. <laughs> like Hollywood should have just said, okay, we're going to have to come up with a new form of expression because I don't think after Godfather two, like ever, I'm surprised everyone didn't just drive out of drive out of Hollywood with uh, the Beverly Hillbillies car. Um, And I also think that we could do the rest of the podcast episodes just on this. I mean, we could do a whole episode on Al Miri and you know, one just on Rocco and one on shoot. Yes. But um. It was, it's so brilliant. And like you said, like every image counts, every single image counts when you see this. My, t- my um, takeaway this time or the thing that I appreciated more, I always appreciate it, but even more was how great Lee Strasberg is and what a great villain Hyman Roth is. Um, I mean, first of all, he reminds you of Gollum. When you watch it now he's great and just the, how great it is that he's about to like invest in cuba and join a friendly government but he's eating tuna sandwiches on snack tables
1: i was going <laughs> to say the, the tuna the tuna sandwich and the hey do you watch the ball game yeah it's <laughs> uh, my it's my favorite it's when he my favorite his, touch
0: what he has his uh, leg hanging over the the chair and, and michael has to turn up the tv really loud so they could talk about business and it's true like when he says at the end like roth's been dying of the same heart attack for 20 years and always complaining like when he's like i'd uh i'd give $4 million just to be able to take a piss without it hurting. Um, he's <laughs> such a great, great villain. And the way Strasburg plays him with those, did you notice those weird pauses in his speech? Like in yes. the middle of a sentence, he'll just stop. Because I think it's, I take it that it's, his brain is going so fast that he's trying to let his mouth catch up with his brain The ca- of Hyman Roth, the character is. Um, I thought I thought that was great. And it reminded me of, um, I know you're a big fan of E.L. Doctorow. I am. Have you ever read The Waterworks? Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought of. Because I read The Waterworks, you know, years and years ago when it first came out. But I remember it's about, isn't it about like old people trying to like yeah. become immortal? Yeah, he's Dr. Yeah. Sartorius. Okay, that's okay. I knew you would know this, right? But that's exactly who he is. Like, he's getting moved from hospital to, you know, I want my own doctor, bring my own doctor. Um, and, he, and it's great that he says, you know, Michael, we're bigger than U.S. Steel. And they're cutting up Cuba, you know, symbolically in the cake. But it's great. Like, what does he want? Like Michael, at least he has the Tahoe compound, right? But it's like that's why I think Roth is a great villain. Like, what was your well, take on Roth this time? Yeah,
1: I, I was gonna say, uh, and I was gonna bring up the cake as well. It's we've talked on the podcast a few times about things being disconcerting when yes. they uh, when they uh, things seem to be spinning, or you can't you can't. I cannot catch a drift of what hymen roth values i don't i have no idea what his values are he can in one <laughs> breath talk about, he's, he's he's angry because someone bumped off mo green yeah and then a, a, on the other hand he wants to make sure that everybody buddy got a piece of cake did everybody right. get a chance to hold the phone yes uh, it's and it makes it even more menacing that's exactly like um like bane's voice you know in, in the dark <laughs> night to a, to a far 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 greater extent but it's just well, he says he values unpredictability good
0: yeah. sorry he said, he says good health is the most important thing it's more than success you know more than money more than power but he he doesn't even have that and you're that's a great thing like what is he He makes everyone has to have the cake i think because he's showing off he wants everyone to know it's his birthday and he's trying to flex i think in that scene
1: sure but it's it's his eyes it's yeah. the way that he watches everybody right. get a piece and then he turns to focus on michael yeah um, you know the the line where he says, uh, I'm going to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> and when, when I wake up, if there's a bag, worth $2 million in it, I'll know I have a partner. Yeah. That is a, uh, can you imagine a better line than that?
0: No, no. And, and, the, and the movie is one of those after another. All right. So speaking of lines and great moments, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up with that in segment two.
1: Yeah, let's keep it rolling. Hi, welcome back. So in our second segment, we'd like to talk about a key scene uh, or a major takeaway that's indicative of the themes of the film overall. So, Dan, I know you had one that you wanted to start off with.
0: Sure. And mine, I think, is not only indicative of the movie. I think it's, a, I think it's Al Pacino's greatest movie moment. And it's the moment where Michael slaps Kay when she says that she had an abortion. Um, you know, that scene is such a great, great moment in the film because it's everything, everything the movie's going towards is that, is that Michael's trying to protect his home. That's why the machine gun attack in the beginning is, is so horrifying because he's looking at the picture from Anthony. Mm -hmm. Um, do you like it and and when he yells at frankie pantangeli he's like in my home where my wife sleeps where my children play and he's had the the first communion party the whole thing is about him trying to protect his family and keep it intact like when he goes to see his mother about that but at the same time he's destroying it himself it's not the people outside of it that are destroying it it's michael and so when um when she says when he says um you know, don't you think I would, I would use all my powers to make sure you didn't keep my children from me. And then she tells him the truth and you see his mouth quivering.
1: Mm.
0: It's so, it, you know, he's had the rug pulled out from under him. And just like in the first one, he accuses her of being naive and being blind. And of course it's, it's a beautiful, terrible reversal of how blind he is. So, you know, and, uh, the Vito parts of the movie invite you to compare him as a father versus Vito as a father. And you get to see the real, real difference there because, um, you know, Vito says in the first one, you know, I never apologized, taking care of my family. And it's something that Michael, uh, Michael can't do. So the sanctity of the home becomes, you know, ironic in that terrible, terrible moment.
1: Yeah. The, it reminds me of, uh, you know, I used to do a joke where I would do, uh, Robert De Niro as, as Vito in my impersonation. And I would just stand still like when he's staring at the crib, <laughs> uh-huh. but you know, I would love to say that, that that's a wonderful moment without, yeah. without words or even a change of facial expression. It's, it's, a, a, his face is a portal into the thoughts of a person that doesn't exist.
0: Yeah, and that's, absolutely, and that's uh, real, we'll, brilliant to me. It, it's just when he when he knocks over the chair too. I mean, it's so horrifying, and you, you're almost you almost cringe that you're watching it. And there's a couple cringe-worthy moments in this movie like that. But how about you? What was your what was your moment?
1: Sure. So so I have two that I'd I'd like to talk about. The first is a, a Vito Corleone moment when he first sees Don Finucci come in to shake down the grocer where Uh he works. You know, he's finally escaped to America and established himself. He's part of the Italian community. And there's, there's another thing where the portal into Vito's thoughts there is both. Wow. I, you know, he knows he's going to lose his job, you know, before the, before the grocer even says anything to him, but you can tell that he's impressed and a little something in his brain is aroused by the way that, the, the shakedown is happening. You know, he's, he's both disgusted <laughs> that it's a, he's disgusted that it's Italian on Italian, right? Because it shouldn't, that's what he says be yeah. that way. But he wants to, he, he enjoys commanding respect and yes. you can see, you know, you can see that in the, in the character played by a totally different person. Yeah. Played by Marlon Brando, but it's a similar set of values. And it's a set of values that communicates much louder than any line Vito actually says in the entire movie.
0: But it's also funny how the audience sides with Vito and they detest Fanucci. Absolutely. Isn't and that he, great?
1: Yeah. He, he, he is detestable. And I think it's clear that Vito has values. I think what you, maybe what you were talking about earlier is that Michael pretends to have values. Yes. Uh, but, it, but it turns out that he doesn't have any. And I think that the difference between Michael and Vito is that Vito doesn't. And it's so clearly communicated through his point of view to the audience Right. you start to assume some of his values as well. You know, when he shoots Don Finucci, you're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, good. You're, good for you. Wait, the like, biggest was, surprise wasn't is not the clever to take the roof.
0: Yeah. And he takes a gun and puts it in a different things. And of course, then, then what does you we know, use this power for? To let the old lady keep the dog. Right. <laughs> the rent just stays the same. Yeah. No, it even goes down. It goes down $10 <laughs> a month. <laughs> but, and there's that great bit where the guy's trying to get out of the olive oil company. Um so what was your what was you have one from the uh, the Michael half of the movie? Well, you know, on the th- on the theme
1: of respect, I think that the performance um, of the actor that plays Fredo, John
0: Cazale, yeah,
1: John Cazale, uh, when he when he tells Michael, that, you know, I'm smart, I can yeah. do things, not right. like
0: everybody says, like dumb. You well, know, that's how Pop I, wanted it. That's how Pop wanted it, <laughs>
1: and it's it's brilliant because <laughs> I, to me it's. Um, you know, if, if acting, if we've been talking about um, facial expression, too, as a portal into somebody's thoughts, it strikes yeah. me that that performance is Fredo getting a portal into his, his own thoughts for the first time. It sounds like one of the first times now that he's backed into a corner that he's actually self-reflective. And the scene kind of reminds me that he, he seems to be hearing himself say that out loud. He seems yeah. to be overhearing himself uh, talking to Michael in, in desperation.
0: And... Yeah, it's like one of those moments where you're at, where you you catch yourself. Uh, maybe you do this, I don't know, but you catch yourself kind of like talking or muttering at, at, at when you're sitting at a red light when you're angry about something, <laughs> and like you start to like actually say the words out loud, like Willie Loman. But there, <laughs> like he says them all perfectly loud. So he's talking to Michael, he's talking to himself, he's talking to the universe.
1: And it's and it all I, it's supposed to stem from that you know that fever that he had when he was a baby. <laughs> yeah, you know, is is what you're meant to take away from that. that His pneumonia. Yeah, yeah he looks he looks slightly second. It's, it's that one moment of concern, right. uh, you know, when, when Vito is staring at him and I just, uh, it's a brilliant full circle uh, moment. And of course, speaking about Michael's values, he's about to uh, you know, he's about to make the final betrayal of those, of those right. values. I think what we can talk about that in, in the next segment.
0: We're going to pause here because we just want to tell you something. If you haven't heard about anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. The first point is, it's free.
1: Yeah. Second, they have all the tools that you need to create, record, and edit your podcast right on your phone or your laptop.
0: Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other places.
1: You pick up sponsorships, you can make money from your podcast, and there's no minimum listenership.
0: It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Always be closing, Mike. (laughs) Always be closing.
1: So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started welcome back so in our final segment we like to talk about the ending or the title or the big takeaways dan i know you're you're itching to get going
0: i'm chomping at the bit and ironically it's because of or maybe not ironically but because of uh it's appropriately because of something you just said about having a portal into somebody's somebody's character somebody's soul i think that the end of the film that last shot when you see michael sitting there by himself outside in that chair you you don't get that portal you don't know what he's thinking um i mean we've watched uh, we've watched a man hollow himself out where at the end there's nothing there and uh the first couple of times you see the movie what i think is so fascinating is that when you cut to al pacino at the end um there's no music like you forget because it, it's so powerful right we get the image of him as a, as a little mm-hmm. boy in a sicily and then um you cut to him there's no music for a while you don't hear that famous godfather music and his hairline is a lot higher and his hair is different. So it's not supposed to be, you know, a day after he, he had Fredo killed. It's supposed to be, you know, you don't know how much time, but certainly a significant amount of time has gone by. And he's just there alone. He still has his wedding ring on. But you're just staring at him and you wonder what's going through his mind. Like, does he realize what he's done? He must have some moment of realization or or that's it. Because at the, the whole last hour of the film, everybody's trying to get him to come back. Like when Tom says, you don't have to kill him. You've already won. Um, you don't have to kill Roth and all these things, but he's, he's gone so far beyond that. Like when he accuses Tom of betrayal because he didn't take an offer, he didn't tell him about the offer. So I just think that moment right. at the end is so powerful. It, the movie almost doesn't end. It just kind of stops because that's, that's what Michael's become. So what did you make of the ending?
1: I made, I made a lot of the same. I, I think I alluded in the last segment to uh, you know, the, the final betrayal of values, which is t- to kill someone yeah. in the family, a member of the family. You know that I think part of the focal point of godfather part one is the death of Sonny, and when they when they come Uh downstairs and vito says look how they slaughtered my boy and it's the it's the exact same sin that michael's about to commit which is you know no no matter what happened or what betrayals happened accidentally or otherwise you know we can we can talk about that another time uh you know he's about to slaughter his boy uh and and that is something that can only be done it's implied by somebody outside the family it's not something that happens inside the family and that word has essentially lost all meaning to michael you know he's he's crossed the final border and there's re- there's really no return. yeah
0: that, and that that especially that he does it in the absolute coldest blood i mean that scene is so pathetic and i don't mean pathetic to disdain i mean pathetic as deserving pathos when you see fredo um clutching him at the mother's wake and you see his hands like bearing into michael's back and then michael just looks up and stares at stares at al Neri. And you're like, oh, because he said he's was the way, you know, I don't know anything that happened while his mother's alive, right? That he holds the grudge yes. that long and he just stare. And Al Niri even gets uncomfortable, like, uh, like, he doesn't even want to look at Michael at that moment. Um, but what do you, think? do you think? Do you think that Michael has any self-realization at the end or do you ever go back and forth? And, or do you think you can't figure it out?
1: I, I, I don't know. Um, if, if I had to make a snap call, I would say that Michael knows that he's done something, but I don't think that he has the wherewithal or the understanding of his own values to say where it was. Yeah. You know, if you, if you asked right. him, if you asked him where it was, I think he would pick any of a dozen moments, not seeing that they're connected and it's, a, and it's essentially a, it's a slide down into hell the same way that we talked about. Um, uh, uh, there will be blood. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is, is a, is a descent into hell. And that's
0: what this is too. I mean, there's no, he, you're right. He has no, I, I cause I watched it a hundred times. There's no, moment where you could say it's like tragic awareness like where a tragic character becomes at least aware of something about the universe or something about the world i mean hamlet and lear they they all have these or oedipus they have these profound understandings they it kills them they have to they have to pay with their lives but they understand something about the world but you don't know what michael understands at the end and that's why it's so great isn't it
1: yeah and i i think Uh, You know, this, again, is a point that we made about The Godfather Part One, but there's, you know, the scene, there's the flashback to uh, Vito's birthday. Yeah. Michael, you know, first tells everybody that he's enlisted. And what he says at the table is, you know, isn't a country just another kind of a family? (laughs) Right. You know, and, and, and you can see that really through the films and especially through this film. Yeah. The target narrows down to a bullseye you know at first michael's values say well isn't a country kind of a family and then you know maybe isn't new york my family and then aren't italian americans my family maybe aren't these italian americans my family (laughs) maybe maybe Kay and the kids are just my family not right you know and it it gets to the bullseye and we can you know for me the scene of him sitting alone yeah you know is is the center of the bullseye and he's he's finally gotten there but he's Totally lost the definition some way in the pruning.
0: Yeah, he says in the first one, remember how proud he is? That's my family, k That's not me. And he's so proud of that. And then he changes in the first one. But then, like at the end of the thing, you're right. The bullseye is well. Who is he? Like who's at the center of that bullseye? Like who is Michael Corleone? It's like in Citizen Kane when they sing, like you know, who is this man? Who is this man? I, like who who well, is that? Who? If I ask you, who is that man sitting alone at the end? What would you say?
1: I I wouldn't have an answer. Yeah, you're right. There's. There's no, there's no sense to his, to his thoughts or feelings. Yeah, there's no and rosebud. Then, as you said, they're not, com- they're not communicated. No, there's no rosebud. There's bud. no
0: rosebud at all. And that's why it's so beautiful. That's why it's so, you turn it off and you're exhausted emotionally um, in a way that you're not at the end of the first film, but it's so beautifully done.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that there's um, such a contrast in the actions between, between him and Vito. I think that the implication that you're meant to take away from the ending um, of the first film uh, especially when Connie's, you know, when Connie's husband is right. finally taken yeah, uh, uh, take take now. Which is that um, there are some things that are not done, and maybe this guy's clever because he'll just do them. Yeah. You know, the reason that he can take out the heads of the five families or that he right. can kill Connie's husband is because he's willing to cross barriers and borders. Right. And the the barriers and borders are there for a reason because if you stay on if you stay on the one side, you know, you're Vito, and if you stay on the other side, you're you're Michael. Yeah,
0: that's right. And then he loses his soul, and that's what we watch. That's what the whole movie's about.
1: Right all right well and that, yeah that's why it's unknowable at the end because yeah. he he may not even have one yeah
0: he may and, and he and if he does he he doesn't it, it's so much better to have it be silent at the end and and, and just 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 leave it there it, it's it's a perfect perfect ending i don't, I don't know how that could be taught it can't exactly all right good talking to you thanks for listening Hi, it's Dan. And I just want to thank everybody so far who's listened to the show. We have listeners from all over the United States and actually from all over the world. It's picking up speed. We're really, really grateful for those of you who are listening.
1: If you're listening to this message, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can leave a review. You can suggest possible titles that you'd like us to cover.
0: You can also follow us on Twitter, right? Our handle is at 15 minute film. That's at 15 five M I N film. And you could also support the show by making a small monthly donation through anchor. And the way that works is that, um, when we get enough money, we'll start buying new equipment. We'll do everything we can to give you the best experience.
1: If you're willing to donate, we will call you and we will leave a recorded message on your voicemail or wherever you like. In any of the silly characters we've done on the show, including Bane, Sean Connery,
0: any others, any others that come up today? Dan's Marlon Brando. I, I, I will leave you a voicemail that will be the greatest voicemail you've ever heard. Thanks for listening.